This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Grandpa's Globe. Previously on Grandpa's Globe, Grandpa and the twins got the guidebook back from the dragon during their trip to Mexico. After returning home with the piñata where it was hidden, they discovered that documents containing the dragon's secret plans were also hidden inside. And now for episode 11, A Good Eye in Australia. The globe sucked Sawyer and Susie into it, blasting them through cold darkness until they landed somewhere bright and warm. 
When their surroundings stopped spinning and gradually came into focus, they saw a flat desert landscape. Taking up most of the view was a giant red rock mound, surrounded by dry shrubs sprouting out of red sand. Sawyer thought it looked like some giant tried to make a huge red velvet bundt cake and failed miserably. I think it just sent us to Mars, Sawyer said, staring at the massive monolith. Shouldn't we be wearing spacesuits or something? Are you being serious? Susie asked. Sawyer started to wheeze. Oh man, I think I'm getting short of breath. I'm losing oxygen here. Susie bonked him with the guidebook. Snap out of it. We're not on Mars, you egghead. The globe can only send us to places on Earth. She pointed to the giant mound. Come on, don't you recognize this place? Sawyer took another look at his surroundings. Let's see. Red soil, red rock, Mars. We're on Mars. Susie sighed and flipped open the guidebook. We're in Australia, she said, stopping on the page. Sawyer's eyes lit up. Crikey! That rock is called Uluru, or Ayer's Rock, Susie read. It's a large sandstone formation with springs, rock caves, and ancient paintings. It's considered sacred by the Pichanjara Anangu people. They're the indigenous or aboriginal people of the area. There are over 500 different clan groups of aboriginal people in Australia, with hunter-gatherer ancestors that date back 40 to 60,000 years. Do you think the dragon's secret plans say anything about Australia? Sawyer asked. Wow, Sawyer, that's a really good idea, Susie said with raised eyebrows. Sawyer tilted his head at her. Oh, please, he said. Like, that's the only good idea I've ever had. Susie pulled out the dragon-stamped files from her backpack. She sifted through them until she reached a file on Australia. She held it up. Here it is, she said. Let's see what they're up to here. She skimmed over the first page. Hmm, that's odd. What? Sawyer asked. It says here that they plan on harvesting poison from venomous animals. Sawyer shriveled a little. Venomous animals? Yeah, Susie said. Apparently there are quite a few here, but I wonder what they plan on doing with a bunch of poison. Let's see. She thumbed through the pages looking for answers. Suddenly they heard voices approaching. Sawyer and Susie ducked down behind a bush. Slowly, they peeked out and saw a group of dark-skinned men wearing red skirts and decorated with white body paint. They were walking carefully and staring down at the ground, poking their spears into the bushes. One of them was carrying a curved L-shaped piece of wood with designs painted on it. "'What are they doing?' Sawyer whispered. Something slithered out of the bush in front of the group. The men yelped with excitement, their spears thrusting in and out of the ground— Susie squirmed when she saw what was causing all the ruckus. It was a big, light brown snake, writhing and hissing and snapping at the men. Susie flipped through the secret plans and found a page with a picture of a brown snake. She read the description silently to herself. The eastern brown snake, the world's second most venomous land snake. 
Catching on to what was happening, she looked up from the page and saw a few men dressed in black camouflage stepping out behind the aboriginal hunting party. She immediately recognized the dragon badge on their arms. The men were keeping a safe distance from the snake, letting their local hunting guides do all the dirty work. Is that what I think it is? Sawyer asked, noticing the badges as well. I'm afraid so, Susie said. Looks like the dragon's leading a hunting party to get all the poisonous animals they need. What do we do? Susie looked around for a good escape route. There wasn't one. I'm not sure yet, she said. All Grandpa gave me was this thing. She pulled out a little silver whistle. Sawyer's mouth gaped when he saw it. You kidding me? What are we supposed to do, ref a soccer match while we're out here? Just then, something occurred to Susie, and she put the whistle to her lips. Sawyer didn't like what he was seeing. No, 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 I want to live, I want to live, I want to live. Too late. Susie blew the whistle with every ounce of air she had. The result was an ear-numbing pitch that sent the hunting group into a frenzy. Somebody's followed us, said one of the dragon men, covering his ears. It's a raid, said another. Grab what we can and go. The men tripped over themselves as they ran back to their jeep and sped off through the desert. Sawyer slowly turned to look at Susie. Well, now that I'm completely deaf... I got us out, didn't I? Susie said. Mm, what's that? Sawyer said, turning his good ear for better reception. Whatever, Susie said, rolling her eyes. They stepped out from the bushes and froze. Standing eye to eye with Sawyer was a tall kangaroo. Not like the cutesy kangaroos you'd see in books with long eyelashes, smiling faces, and adorable little mini-roos poking out of a pouch. No, sir. This sucker looked like he'd just gotten back from his third stint fighting in Nam. He was ripped, his arms twitching with muscle. His furry schnoz scowled, and there was this long, jagged scar above his eye that said, I've killed a guy before. He chewed some grass out the side of his mouth. He's like a stuffed animal from a nightmare, Sawyer whispered, trying not to make eye contact with him. I think we took his bush, Susie said, holding her hands up, feeling the need to surrender. Let's just slowly back away. They started to step back. The kangaroo flinched. Mommy! Sawyer shouted involuntarily. They turned and ran for it. Are kangaroos fast? Susie said, running as fast as she could. They can jump, remember? Sawyer said, his arms karate slicing as he ran. It'll probably pounce on our heads any second now. Look back and see if it's close, Susie said. You look back. Sawyer, you're the one falling behind. The person to the rear always checks the back. I'm not falling behind. Sawyer ran even harder. They sprinted around a rock and found themselves splashing into a pond. When they were waist-deep, they turned to see nothing in pursuit. Thank goodness, they thought. Good eye, mates, said a man at the other end of the pond. Never seen someone so excited for a swim. The man wore a leather vest pinned with animal teeth and coated with reptile skins. 
On his head, he wore a leather outback hat with a line of rope wrapped around the crown. Aye, it was a roo, wasn't it? Sawyer and Susie nodded. Giving his face one last splash and then dabbing it with a dirty rag, the man finished his wash and walked over to them. No worries, mates. She'll be right. Name's Gundy, he said, extending his hand. They shook it. I'm Susie. This is my brother, Sawyer. Nice to meet you. What brings you all the way out here, mates? The twins hesitated. Gundy was a stranger, and they knew what they were about to say would sound pretty nuts. We're trying to stop those bad men that left in the jeep a minute ago, Susie finally said. Gundy shot them a look of surprise. Chasing aborigines, eh? I was just following that group myself. Mind if I tag along? Sawyer and Susie looked at each other. What do you have to contribute? Sawyer asked. Gundy smiled and pulled out a huge knife. It twinkled in the sun. Big whoop. These guys probably have guns, Sawyer said, not impressed. Gundy nodded thoughtfully. Right you are, mate, but I know where they're headed. Follow me. He led the twins away from the pond and through the desert. Shortly into their search, Sawyer stepped on something. He looked down and picked up the curved, L-shaped piece of wood he'd seen one of the aborigines carrying. The man must have dropped it during their escape. Nice boomerang you found there, said Gundy. The aborigines have used those to hunt animals for thousands of years. If you throw it right, it'll come right back to you. Sawyer looked at the piece of wood with a newfound respect. He tucked it safely in his pack and continued following Gundy. As they walked, Gundy would occasionally stop to sniff the air, then suddenly drop to his knees and taste the soil. A little further up, ahead, he crawled down over a rock and touched his tongue to its surface. Then he licked a branch, and then some more dirt, then another rock, and then a turtle shell. "'Have you caught on to their trail yet?' Susie asked, getting annoyed. "'Oh, right!' <laughs> Gundy said. "'I already know where they're headed. I just like tasting things.' Sawyer looked at Susie. "'I think we were better off getting punched by the kangaroo.' "'Come along, mates,' Gundy said. "'I saw their jeep headed northeast. "'Only reason a hunting party would go that way is to hit the barrier reef.' Susie opened the guidebook and saw the next set of instructions fade onto the page. She smiled as she read, Head to the Great Barrier Reef. They hopped into Gundy's Jeep and started on their journey. While they drove, Susie read about their destination. The Great Barrier Reef is the world's largest coral reef system. It is composed of billions of tiny organisms called coral polyps. Together, they cover an area so large it can be seen from outer space. All sorts of wildlife call it home, including over 1,500 species of fish, several types of sea turtles, whales, dolphins, and hundreds of species of birds. What do the dragon's secret plans say about it? Sawyer whispered, making sure Gundy couldn't hear him. Susie flipped to the file. They're going for the blue-ringed octopus she said, showing him the picture of the little creature. It's no bigger than a golf ball, but its venom is strong enough to kill a human. Lovely, Sawyer said. How are we going to stop them? I have no idea, 
Susie said, as they drove at an incredible speed thanks to the magical Globetrotter tickets, they passed through the dingo fence, which Gundy said was the longest fence in the world, longer than driving from California to Maine. Dingoes, Gundy explained, are a wild dog, and the fence was meant to keep them from coming into towns and killing the sheep on the sheep farms. Sawyer spotted a few of the dingoes running along the fence, and for a split second he could swear he caught a glimpse of Scarface, the mean kangaroo, staring at him with his penetrating stink eye and hopping along next to them, chasing after their car. Once they reached the next town, Gundy stopped for lunch and treated the twins to kangaroo and hamburger with beetroot, straight off the barbie. Barbie in Australia means barbecue. Sawyer didn't feel too bad about eating the kangaroo after meeting Scarface. Plus, it was delicious. And to top it off, they had lamington cake for dessert, a sponge or butter cake coated in a layer of chocolate sauce and shredded coconut. This version had a layer of cream in the middle. It was so good. Since they were in a hurry, they decided to eat their meal on the road. Just as they finished their last bites, they were pulling up to the beaches of Cairns in Queensland, Australia. Sawyer and Susie were amazed at the lush green hills, the beautiful white sand shaded by palm trees and bordered by crystal clear water. Parked next to the tallest palm tree was the jeep that the dragon men drove in. Gundy parked next to them. I think I might have a few extra snorkels here somewhere, he said, digging through his trunk. He looked up and saw Sawyer and Susie already wearing swimsuits, with snorkels and goggles pulled over their faces and their regular clothes laying at their feet. Right then, he said. So what's the plan, Suze? Sawyer asked as they walked into the water. Stop them from getting that octopus, she said. The three of them lowered their faces into the water and breathed through the snorkels. The second their goggles dropped below the surface, an alien world was unveiled. Colorful coral layered over the rock like stacks of rainbow pancakes. Vibrant fish by the hundreds swam around them. Susie remembered going to the aquarium once as a family. It was amazing, but never had she experienced being part of an aquarium. They swam on the surface, looking down at the incredible sea life and searching for any sign of the dragon's hunting party. Minutes into their search, Sawyer pointed up ahead at a group of scuba divers dressed in black wetsuits. The group was turned away and too busy waving big nets around to notice the twins' approach. As they swam closer, Susie could see what they were trying to catch. A little blue-ringed octopus was trying to dodge their flailing nets. Then Susie noticed something else, a big weighted net sitting on the ocean floor, full of the little poisonous octopuses. It was sitting a safe distance behind the men along with a few other supplies. The men are probably afraid to hold them too close for fear of being bitten, Susie thought. She pointed to Gundy's huge knife and held out her hand for it. Confused, he gave it to her. Gundy and Sawyer watched as Susie took a deep breath, swam down to the big net, and started cutting away at it. She sawed at the ropes, trying desperately to free the octopuses without calling attention to herself. Her chest was aching for air, and she was only halfway through the rope. She wanted so badly to take a breath, but she knew she couldn't. She tried not to think of the long swim up to the surface she still had to make. 
A few big bubbles left her snorkel, making a glub-glub sound. One of the dragon men turned towards the sound. His shocked eyes filled his goggles when he saw Susie cutting away at their net. He tapped the other men in a panic and pointed at her. As the rest of the men turned, Susie's knife broke through the last strand of rope. Floosh! The net burst open and dozens of blue-ringed octopuses flooded out. Susie swam as hard as she could for the surface, her lungs almost forcing her to inhale the salt water. The dragon men fumbled for their spear guns and started firing at her. Slew! 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 The spears whizzed by her like angry torpedoes. Sawyer swam down to meet her and pull her the rest of the way to the surface. Slew! Slew! Two spears skimmed right past his shoulder. When they reached the surface, they gasped for air. You did it! Sawyer said, helping her swim to shore. Crikey! Gundy said, helping her along as well. When they reached the beach, Susie handed him back his knife. We better get out of here before they can catch up, Susie said once she'd caught her breath. I'll grab the guide... book... She trailed off as they looked to where they hid the guidebook on shore. Standing a short distance from the bump in the sand was Scarface, the mean kangaroo. That roo won't give up, Gundy said, sidestepping to his jeep. You guys get in the car, Sawyer said. I'll grab the guidebook. Sawyer, no, Susie said. It's me he wants. Hurry! Susie and Gundy jumped into the jeep while Sawyer carefully approached the guidebook, buried in the sand. Behind him, the dragon scuba divers had already surfaced and were swimming for shore. When Sawyer reached the guidebook, Scarface stared at him like he was ready to pulverize him. Sand stuck to his fur and drool dripped from his scowl. In a flash, Sawyer swooped down, scooped up the book, and bolted back for the car. Go, 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 go! He yelled, jumping into the back seat. Gundy slammed on the gas and they sped off as the dragon men ran onto the beach. Sawyer, that was amazing! Susie cheered. Not as amazing as you swimming down to the abyss to free those octopuses, Sawyer said. Look at you, aqua woman. Where to, mates? Gundy asked, swerving in and out of traffic. Susie flipped open the guidebook as ink curled across the page, revealing their next destination. The Sydney Opera House, she read. Gundy looked surprised by this, but not as surprised at how quickly they drove to their next destination. It was as though the world around them was in fast forward, blurring the view out their windows. Sawyer and Susie, however, didn't seem one bit surprised by the magical speed they were traveling. As they drove, Susie read, The Sydney Opera House is one of the most famous buildings in the world. It's a multi-venue performing arts center and it hosts a few thousand events per year. She looked up and saw it coming into view out the window. The incredible buildings looked like a bunch of giant conch shells folding down over each other. They jutted out over the water on a little peninsula with a backdrop of countless skyscrapers overlooking the bay. Susie scanned through the dragon's secret plans until she found a file on Sydney. Inside was a little picture of a jet black spider. She nudged at Sawyer and pointed at the page for him to read. The Sydney Funnel Web Spider, it said, is one of the deadliest spiders in the world. Its venom can kill a human in as little as 15 minutes. There's more of them, Susie said, pointing out the window. 
As they pulled up to the opera house, she saw a group of suspicious men dressed in black walking across the street into the Royal Botanic Gardens. Pull over here, she told Gundy. Gundy parked the car and they all hopped out. They crept quietly behind the men that were scouring through bushes and around trees, turning over rocks and dirt, looking for their deadly spiders. I hate spiders, Sawyer said. I'm not sure I can go after them on this one. If a spider scurries out, I'm going to squeal and probably pass out. At least you're honest, mate, Gundy said. What do you have in mind this time? We gonna fight him like you almost did to that mean old jack on the beach? I can kick him with my boots. He flashed his snazzy snakeskin boots and nodded to the pointy toe. Susie raised an eyebrow as she studied them. The snakeskin looked oddly familiar. The scales were light brown, just like the ones on the eastern brown snake that the dragon was hunting in the desert. She followed the boots up to something tied at his waist, a little pouch half hidden by his vest. There was something gross hanging out of it. A worm, maybe? No, a tentacle. A little tentacle with blue rings. Her mouth went dry. It was a dead blue-ringed octopus! Now that she was looking closer, she realized nearly everything on him was probably a poisonous animal at some point. While Gundy was watching the men intently, Susie tapped on Sawyer's shoulder and pointed to the octopus tentacle. Gundy looked back at them and then followed their gaze down to the exposed tentacle. His nice face suddenly went sour. Oi, mates, he said. You found me out. Every hunting party needs a guide. And you just helped me find my way back to my group. He stood up and waved his hands at the men in black. Oi, men, over here. I've got a little surprise for you. The dragon men looked at the twins, recognizing their description from their companions at the reef. Tie them up, said one of them, looking around to see if anyone was watching. Bring the spiders. Maybe Boss will let us test them out. Sawyer's stomach twisted in a thousand knots as the men tied up their hands and escorted them discreetly to a big black bus parked in an alley. As they climbed aboard, they saw that the entire inside had been turned into some kind of science lab. Blue liquid oozed through tubes strung between bubbling beakers, glass cylinders, and flasks. Glass cages housed eastern brown snakes, blue-ridged octopuses, and funnel-webbed spiders, along with several other venomous creatures. Sitting at a table was a blonde, heavy-set woman wearing a lab coat. She looked through a magnifying glass as she dissected an octopus. Minutes ticked by as she continued finishing her work, ignoring the children standing next to her. Gundy sat behind them, with his legs propped up, picking at his teeth with his knife. One of the dragon men spoke up. Lady Lucy, these kids have been interfering with... Lady Lucy held a hand up at him, silencing him while she made her final adjustment to the octopus's glands. One last pinch and she was done. I know who they are, she said, finally looking up. I've been expecting them. My brother warned me you'd be coming one day. Your brother? Sawyer asked. Luca? She said, jogging their memory. You're Luca Nogard's sister? Susie said. The Nogard crime family? Sawyer added. 
Lucy Nogard nodded and got to her feet. I never thought that our biggest problem would be a couple of snotty-nosed kids. Sawyer all of a sudden became very self-conscious about his runny nose. How did you track us without the guidebook? Lucy asked. We got it back, Susie said. You can try to steal it all you want, but it will always find its way back to us. And no matter what you do to try to stop us, we'll come for you. Lucy laughed. <laughs> You're cute. Not in a good way. It's more of an amusing kind of cute. The kind of cute I can squish under my toe. She leaned over and glared into their eyes, her face accentuated by a few chins and way too much blue eyeshadow. You can't stop us. We're everywhere, influencing everything. Think of all the bad things you've heard about in the world. Wars, corruption, greed. Sometimes it feels awfully coordinated, don't you think? Well, who do you think was behind it all? She turned and pointed to the hundreds of vials full of poison on the bus walls. That venom right there will help us start World War Three, And that sweet little mixture of toxin over there will help us inherit half a country. Ooh, and this one right here... Wham! Something rammed into the side of the bus, making everyone fall to the floor. Wham! Again the bus shook. Lucy struggled to help herself up. Find out what it is, you fools! She roared. The men piled out of the bus and ran around the side. Boom! Wham! Whack! Ah! The sound stopped. There was silence. Gundy had the face of someone who'd seen a ghost. He slowly got to his feet and turned to see who was stepping onto the bus. Standing in the aisle was Scarface, the mean kangaroo. The scar above his eye twitched. Wow, that kangaroo really does hate you, Susie said to Sawyer. I'd rather get knocked out by him than be poisoned by spiders, Sawyer said. Gundy whipped out his huge knife and faced the roo. I thought you'd never catch me, Jack, he said, turning the blade in his hands. Guess I'll have to finish what I started. Scarface, the mean kangaroo, looked at Gundy's knife and rubbed at the scar above his eye. Sawyer and Susie looked at each other, stunned. The kangaroo wasn't here for them. It was here for Gundy. Scarface jumped and kicked off Gundy with his long feet, sending him and his knife flying. Susie bent down and picked up the knife. Within seconds, she'd cut through the bands tying their hands. While Gundy and Scarface boxed, the twins ran off the bus, leaving Lucy screaming after them. Susie blew her whistle as loud as she could, getting the attention of the police. What's wrong? asked one of the policemen running over. <laughs> the bad people on that bus tried to kidnap us, Susie said, adding as much dramatic flair to her voice as possible. The police ran after the big black bus, but before they could reach it, it drove off. At the wheel was a furious Lucy, her blue eyeshadow streaking down her chubby cheeks. She ducked out of the way of flying furry kicks and punches as she drove. They're getting away, shouted one of the officers. Sawyer remembered his boomerang. He pulled it out and aimed for the fleeing bus. With all his strength, he flung it at the tires. The sharp, curved wood arched around a couple cars and pierced the bus's rear tire mid-turn. The punctured tire sent the speeding bus teetering off balance until it crashed onto its side. 
Those are the cheapest tyres I've ever seen, said one of the policemen. Stay put, we'll be right back, said another. They ran up to the bus and climbed in through the window. When they emerged, they had Gundy and Lucy in handcuffs. Gong! 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 Sawyer and Susie looked at each other in a panic and then glanced around for a clock. There it was, peeking just over the top of an apartment building. They both looked at it just in time for the hand to drop onto the floor. Gong! They spun like tops until they found themselves spinning in Grandpa's study, papers flying around the room as they came to a stop. Grandpa sprang up from his chair. Are you all right? He asked, looking them over. We're good, Susie said, catching her breath. We stopped the dragon in Australia. Good work, Grandpa said, putting his arm around them. Did the whistle help? It did, Susie said. I used it twice, actually. What's wrong with you? Grandpa asked Sawyer. Sawyer looked like he just got turned down at a dance. I lost my boomerang, he said, looking at the floor. Ah, not to worry. I've got dozens of them. Grandpa left the room and returned with a big sack full of hand-carved boomerangs from his trips to Australia. They were smooth, sharp, and painted with all sorts of cool designs from the Aboriginal people. Whoa, Sawyer said, looking through the collection. He pulled one out that he liked, one with a kangaroo painted on it. Thanks, Gramps, he said. Grandpa patted him on the back. Good choice. That one helped me stop a helicopter once. Susie? He held the bag out for Susie to pick one. She found a thick one with colorful swirls. Sawyer wound up to give his boomerang a good first throw. Not in the house! Both Grandpa and Susie shouted. Too late. The boomerang left his hands and whipped around the room, knocking over two lamps before circling back and smacking him in the forehead. Oh, sorry, Sawyer said from the floor. Grandpa and Susie just shook their heads. Lesson learned, Rocketeers, don't throw boomerangs, or anything for that matter, in the house. Now, I know we have some Australian listeners out there, so let me just say sorry for butchering your country's amazing accent. I tried, guys. Maybe you can email me with some tips on how to improve it next time I write about Australia. You know, one thing I learned about your country that I'm embarrassed to admit I didn't know is just how big it is. It's huge. It's almost the same size as the continental U.S. with a population of around 24 million. The U.S. population is 324 million people. And I thought we had open spaces. It's incredible. I wanted to take a second this week to give a special shout out to my mom. Turning these stories over quickly every week is kind of tricky, and it doesn't leave me really any time at all to edit them. So you're basically getting the first draft. Sorry. But thanks to my mom, they're actually cleaned up a bit. 
she offered to look them over and do a few edits every week. And she does it with an insane turnaround time and always with great suggestions. She's a brilliant woman. Growing up, she would tell me the most amazing bedtime stories, which are probably part of the reason I love telling stories today, honestly. I remember the story would continue night after night after night, and they were just incredible. So thanks, Mom, for all you're doing. Love ya. And thank you all for listening and supporting the podcast and tuning in every week and letting your friends and family know about these stories and rating us on iTunes. I'm glad you guys are enjoying them. This has been a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Tune in next Monday for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.